Motor Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We appreciate hearing from you wherever you may be. Whatever time zone you're in. Whatever, wherever, <laughs> whenever. All right. <laughs> Just give us that call. works. Yeah, we try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And, of course, if you can't call in, don't care to call in, think of something later in the week. Sure. You can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to pop up. Fill it out to the best of your ability and yeah. hit the send button. There you go. And that's pretty easy. Me, personally, I prefer to talk to somebody. I, don't, I do, too. I don't like sending texts and email. I prefer to just get yeah, I'm a little, little face-to-face. Yeah, a little face-to-face. Yeah. I can't or at least dial them up on the phone. There you go. <laughs> Talk to a live person. Talk to a real person. You know, you, you, That's kind of hard these days. It really is. You get all these little jukeboxes, you know, it's, uh-huh. and I know. Like, I don't like it either. pushing zero. zero, zero. <laughs> <laughs> I need to talk to yeah, a person. I want a real person on here, yeah. I want some personal contact here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought today we would talk just a little bit about a topic that comes up a lot. And I think we have spoken about this in the past, but not recently. And that is a subject of vibrations. Get a lot of email mm-hmm. on that topic. I've got a vibration, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, as always, that's sort of a general guideline. We'll take a call on any topic sure. we have. We never limit it to that. But I get, I get these calls or, or these emails a lot where people will say, you know, I've got a vibration in my car. What do you think it could be? Well, that's really not enough information it is not. to go on or even to hazard a guess on anything. With every vibration, it's going to be specific criteria that you need to know to try to diagnose that. First is, when does the vibration occur? Right. Is it going down the road? Is yeah. it sitting still with your foot on the brake in gear or in, in drive or reverse? Yep. You know, that, that, that's three different scenarios. That's going to connote three different totally different things. And so the first thing is you need, when you feel a vibration in your car, you need to determine where is this vibration. Mm-hmm. In other words, is the steering wheel shaking in your hand? Is the rearview mirror shaking? Is the seat next to you Passenger shaking? Passenger seat shaking? Do I feel it in my feet on the floorboard? That is the first piece of information that you're going to need if you're going to diagnose it yourself mm-hmm. or if you're going to try to have someone else do the job for you. That's You've the first to, piece of information they're going to need. Right. You're going to have to be able to explain it to them. Hey, this vibration happens when I'm doing da-da-da-da-da. That is correct. Now, another important piece of information is has this always existed from the time i got the car or is this something new mm-hmm. that has occurred in other words it used to not do this but now it does is much different from a diagnostic perspective than this has always been there right because there are certain vibrations that are just inherent, inherent in the design of a sure. vehicle and there's really not a whole lot that can be done about them i remember the chevy pickup trucks at one time had a vibration in the steering i don't recall exactly what year it was but it was pretty much normal in that truck and it was i think it was the drive shaft was causing it and what they did it was just a harmonic that would show up at a certain speed they went they, they made the drive shafts larger in the subsequent models they they increased the diameter mm-hmm. 
So the vibration is technically still there, but they tuned it up to a range where that, people wouldn't see it. Exactly. They, they moved it from maybe 70 miles an hour, which was a common range people drive. To 100 or 110. Yeah, 90 miles an hour right. or whatever, where few people will ever drive. So even though the vibration may still be there, because it is normal in that design, mm-hmm. they moved it out of that range where it right. would be apparent to you. Right. And that's the type of things you need to know to go in and try to diagnose something. If you you have a vibration when the vehicle is sitting still, well, that's going to be something that is turning when the vehicle's not moving. Because all vibration comes from, from something movement. that is rotating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not going to be the floor of the car is bad, so it started vibrating. You know, it's going to be something that is rotating. And certain things rotate when the car is sitting still. Other things rotate when you put it into gear. And still other things rotate when you start rolling down, down the road. road. Right. So just knowing these things can narrow, can narrow the search down tremendously. Right. And if you get into the tech with the correct information, it's going to take him a lot less time to find this vibration. Therefore, it's not going to cost you as much. Yeah, time is money. Right. And if you're going to do the job yourself, the same you thing. It can keep you from checking an abundance throw, of things. Or throwing away a bunch of uh, good parts for even worse parts. Right, or, or, or even just the time to check things that can't possibly be mm-hmm. the course. For instance, if your car vibrates at an idle and it does not vibrate in part, but it vibrates when you have your foot on the brake and you put it into gear. Mm-hmm. Well, you can forget about the drive line. It's, it's not no, turning. Right. There's no use in checking the balance on the tires. Right. They're because not turning. Because they're not rotating at that point. And you'd be amazed how often we will hear, get an email, and it'll go something like, well, I've got a vibration when I put it in gear, when I'm sitting at the red light. So I had my tires balanced, and that didn't do it. So I changed the shocks, and that didn't mm-hmm. do it. And and you, you think in your mind, man, you just wasted a whole, whole lot of money right. for stuff that's not moving when the vibration is occurring. You know, a vibration that is going to occur with the vehicle sitting still is likely going to be something on the motor. Right. You're either going to have a misfire and the engine's running rough, mm-hmm. causing the vibration to transfer through the mounts. You're going to have something that is touching that's not supposed to, say a, say a shift cable mm-hmm. that has gotten out of the bracket and maybe laid up on the transmission. Right. So when you put it in gear, the motor torques over, the cable touches, it transfers the vibration. Mm-hmm. You also have motor mounts. Well, and you see, you touched on a good point there where you said transfers the vibration. Because for a vibration to manifest, you have to have three things. Number one is the source. Mm-hmm. That's what is... What shaking. is actually shaking. Number two is the transfer path. That's how it's getting from the source to the area where you can feel it. And number three is the transponder. That is what is shaking. Mm-hmm. For instance, we've got a steering wheel that's shaking in our hand when we're sitting with our foot on the brake. The steering wheel is the transponder. Right. The engine is the source. So, the And transfer. then there has to be a transfer path between it for it to get there. If you can change any one of the three, you can pretty much change the vibration. Sure. So... Let's go back to that example since we started talking about it. If you put it into neutral and the vibration is not there, then we have to assume the motor itself is probably not the issue, even though it may be the source. If it's not there in neutral and it is there in park, then, excuse me, in, in, in gear, with you put on the brake, 
something is transferring. That means something is moving between those operations, right. which is causing that vibration to, to go transfer. to the transponder, which is a steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Now, what things might happen when you put a car in gear? Well, technically, the transmission is engaged, but nothing's turning in the transmission at that point. Right. It's just sitting there waiting. It's to... just sitting there waiting because you got your foot on the brake and, and it's tied to the wheel, so mm-hmm. it can't move. But the motor is going to torque one way or the other. The motor vibrates anyway. It's just what motors do. They don't run perfectly smooth. Well, and that's why there is a rubber motor mount to cushion the vibration between the engine and the body. Right. That breaks up the transfer path. Now, if a motor mount goes bad, what will happen? The motor's sitting on these rubber mounts, so it's still kind of doing its job. Mm -hmm. But when you put your foot on the brake and you put it into gear, it shifts over. And when it shifts over, now maybe the metal part of the mount Touches, touches the body. Mm-hmm. Now we have a transfer path, so now it's going to come through, and the transponder is going to respond to that. So that is likely going to be something with the motor mount or motor mount kind of an issue. Correct. Now, alternatively, it could be a cable, it could be even a heater hose or something could that's be being pulled tight. Something is moving when not you're putting to. it in gear. Right. We'll talk more about that. Right. Let's go ahead and grab a phone call here. We've got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Pretty good. Um, kind of got a bit of a silly question for you. So uh, my wife's got a 2008 RAV4. Okay. And when, when it comes to a stop and turn the engine off, leave the lights on and open the door. It emits this continuous tone to tell you that the lights are on. Okay. Now, in my Lexus, which was built two years before this car, mm-hmm. I think by the same company, Toyota Motor Corporation. Correct. Can you guess what? Can you guess what happens if I do the exact same thing? Probably something different. <laughs> it turns the light off. Yeah. <laughs> You know, all of that is based on the programming that the engineer put in. Right, the software. And, you know, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason. It's not like an analog switch that, that opens or tells it this. It's just a sensor says, okay, the door is open and the lights are on. So if then, do this. And so one car is going to do one thing. Another car, even of the same make and model, may do a totally different thing. Some will turn the light off. Some will sound a chime. Some do nothing. You know, now my Toyota, yeah. which, again, same thing, the lights will stay on for a period of time, and then they'll time out. Yeah. So, so if, if you yeah, walk away from your car, your headlights are still on. However, if I hit my remote twice, if I lock it once, the lights stay on. If I lock it twice, the lights will go out. Right. So it makes no sense except that this is just the way they program the car. Yeah, it just made me laugh. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking, like, you know, is, is this what I would have paid the extra 10 grand for? <laughs> well, <fair>. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, yeah. as a mechanic, it's just mind-boggling because you have to figure out, okay, is this normal for this car? How does this one operate? So the first thing you have to do when somebody complains about something is go to service data, see how it operates. Sometimes the answer is, well, that's just the way it works. Other times there's a problem. And so it really, really, you know, when you're working on thousands of different cars, it really, really complicates the process, you know, because every one, it's like, can you guys standardize this just a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I, know, I, just, I don't see why you would ever want it to make this continuous noise when you yeah. could just turn the light off. Just aggravate the devil out of it. Yeah, why don't you just shut the light out? Yeah. It had, it had, yeah, to, tell well, that, it had to tell that buzzer to buzz. It could just as easily say, hey, open the SCR and cut the lights. <laughs> exactly. And my, my car was built two years before this one. Right. So they knew how to do it. it yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, did, it did know how. It just didn't. That particular engineer, that particular day, yeah. just decided to do it a different <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no. We can't have the light go off. That's a Lexus D2. No, you've got a Toyota that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you have a good weekend. Mark, thanks for calling, Thank man. You. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Care, bye bye.
Uh-huh. 291-6901 is the number. If you're only part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. That's from Mark Wadham from London, uh-huh. England. I'm sorry, he doesn't have an accent. We have an accent. We have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, talked, we were laughing one time, emailing back and forth, and he was talking about the, the boot of the car. Uh-huh. I said, you mean the trunk? He says, well, we call it the boot. And he says something about the hood, and he calls it the bonnet. bonnet right. And I said, well, you know, this is America, man. We invented the car. He says, well, we invented the language. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Can't hardly argue with that, huh? That's right. Hey, we got to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy. But there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy, too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. If you got a question or a comment, just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901, and we're going to the lines with Enoch. Good morning, Enoch. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. You good bet. Good morning. Yeah, so I'm working on a 1998 Subaru Forester right now. I'm uh, trying to replace the inner and the outer tie rod. Okay. And I'm having a really hard time getting the inner tie rod unscrewed from the, the actual rack. I'm wondering if there's like a special tool or something I need to do. There, that there are. Familiar with that. There, there are a number of special tools, you knock. Now, one thing you got to be a little bit careful, when you start putting force on this tie rod, you have to have something to back up because uh, for every reaction, every action is an equal and opposite reaction. When you start pulling on that rack gear, you're twisting it inside that housing, which can actually damage the rack and pinion. So mm-hmm. you want to have something like a big crescent wrench that you can put on that teeth. You know, one side's kind of flat, the other side's kind of round. But if you yeah. can adjust it in tight, hold against that when you're turning, and it's going to prevent damaging the rack itself. Now, to answer your question, the best tool for that, it's like a big long socket that will slide over that tie rod, and it will catch the hex part of, of it. And then you can put a you ratchet or something on the outside of that socket, and that will unscrew it. That's the, the best one because you can't generally get anything right to where the right because the suspension and the body's in the way. Uh, a lot of those yeah. have Loctite on them, and they're, they're hard to get loose. Some of them, I'm not sure about the Forester because we don't work on Subarus, but I know the Fords used to have a rivet that would secure the inner tie rod to the rack shaft, keep from backing off. And if you didn't cut that rivet out and get that rivet out the way then when you took the tie rod off, you would actually damage the threads where the tie rod came right. off. So, so, so I mean, you're going to have a set to, screw in them. Yeah, you're going to have to be sure there's no kind of set screw or some kind of keeper that actually holds that yeah. tie rod to the inside of the rack. Yeah, and some of them just have like a little, uh, like a flat washer that's between the rack and the tie rod. It bends over into, they all have some type of feature to keep that from backing off because if that backs off, you're going to lose steering. Right. So they all have yeah. some type of retainer. And you, you have to just understand how the retaining system on that car works. 
and open that. But be careful because I've seen a lot of people will change the inner tie rods, end up with a rack leaking because they damage the seal here enough and damage the seal. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I did notice on the rack that, like you had said, one part is flat and the other part is round. Mm-hmm. Didn't look like a really good place. I was looking for two flats to put some sort of backup on. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. There's not I, a good place. Yeah, can I just, like, grip it with, like, uh, channel locks or something like I that? I wouldn't would do not. that because that slides in and out of a seal, and if you put a burr in it, it could cut the seal. So the best oh, thing okay. I've ever found, if you can get a big crescent wrench in there, just tighten it up as tight as you can against the flat, and that, that one side against the yeah. flat will hold it. Okay. But that's uh, one of your best ways. And, again, you might check with a parts store see if they'll rent the tool. They normally come in a set yeah. with different inserts to fit the different size nuts on there because if you start pulling down against that rack you can damage the seal particularly if it's got high mileage on the car that is more of a radial kind of a turn so you're not pulling as hard against the seal so it's definitely worth investing the money to rent a tool like that i wouldn't buy one necessarily but gotcha okay well thank you for that do you have time for another quick question sure go ahead yeah, so I am going to be in the market for buying a truck here shortly, and uh, a used truck. And I was just kind of wondering what your opinion would be on what you would recommend as far as the best model brand. It just depends on what you're looking for, yeah. you know, what you're going to do with it. Some have advantages over others. I'm a big Toyota fan. I just like the Toyotas because we don't see nearly as many problems with them. Either the Tacoma or the Tundra are both a pretty good pick, although a Tundra is huge. It's like uh, it, driving a 2500 series. Yeah, it's, it's a big, big, big yeah. truck. So, you know, if, if you're considering that, you might want to go drive one or borrow one from a friend or whatever before you decide to buy it because this is a big, big truck. Of the domestic models, I would probably go with GM. They're not without problems, but they seem to have less lot, problems yeah. than the other two. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your show, and uh, I enjoy the music. Too. Oh, well, thank, well, thank you. you. What, where are you calling from? You're not? I'm coming from Dallas. Oh, okay. oh wow! Very right. good. Well, you're a local guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank All right, you. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. See if we can catch another quick call here. We've got Glenn online. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. This is Glenn from Los Angeles. Yes, I'm sir. A local guy. Yes, sir. There you go. <laughs> I love I love your show. I listen on podcast okay. every edition. My daughter has a 2005 Pontiac Vibe, mm-hmm. which is basically the exact same thing as a Toyota Matrix. Yeah, mm-hmm. my Very daughter's similar. 28 years old. Mm-hmm. I suggested to her recently replacing the radiator in the car since it's 15 years old and mm-hmm. had never been replaced. Wow. Right? So we. I went out and bought a radiator. I'm proud to say my daughter replaced it herself. Wow, good. Supervision. She's really into doing automotive repair and maintenance. I just walked her through the steps. Very good. She she cleaned all the cooling system, drained all the old fluid, changed the thermostat, did a complete cooling system service while we were in there, put the new radiator in. Everything worked fine. The old radiator was not showing any symptoms. There was no leaking or overheating. Mm-hmm. But when we took it out and looked at it, as you can imagine, it was shot. The yeah. fins were all corroded. Mm-hmm. The center portion of it was all blocked with dirt and debris from mm-hmm. the road. My question is this. We obviously waited too long, 15 years, to replace this. What is your recommended time span for how long you should go with a radiator before you just replace it, regardless of whether it's showing symptoms or not? You know, I started looking at around 10 years Pretty much, if I just had to have, I've seen a handful of them fail at eight years, but Mm -hmm. not a whole lot. Almost none of them make it much past there. 
So for me, probably around 10 years, and I was starting inspecting it at maybe eight years, you know, giving it a real close look at. And this is providing you've kept the maintenance up to this if, point. Yeah, if you kept if the you maintenance have, up. Then if you haven't, then I would move that up. Yeah, move it way up. Right, right. But, yeah, you do get to a point of diminished return. It's sort of like the hard drive on a computer. It's not that if it's going to fail. It's a matter of when it's going to fail. And Radiator's the same way. Radiator's the same way. It depends a lot, too, on the way you drive it. If you're just kind of putting around town and a failure is not too big of a deal because you just pull over to the side, walk home, get your other car, that's one thing. If you're on the road with this thing, then, again, you got to move it up some. I drive generally 75 miles every time I drive my car one way. Because I, mm-hmm. I I work in Baton Rouge and I live in New Orleans, so you know it's a seventy five mile commute on interstate all the way. It would be catastrophic for me to break down. So right. yeah, I changed right. my radiator out at ten years. But again, it just kind of depends on your situation. If I had to put a number on it, I would say ten would be a, a good number. Okay, that sounds good. I have a Toyota Camry that is nine years old, mm-hmm. and I work forty miles away from home, so I'm mm-hmm. almost in the same situation. You're right. I'm going to consider replacing that based on your recommendation. Yeah, yeah, I would within the next year. I mean, it just that, doesn't that cost great. that much. It's going to fail anyway, exactly. so you're going to have to change it sooner or later. Why not change it sooner yeah. and avoid the problems? Well, and you need yeah. to look at some other things too while you're there. Any look at right. all your heater hoses, all your yeah. cooling hoses, anything that has plastic yeah. in it. Needs to be changed while the radiator, when you change the radiator. Yeah, the hoses I would inspect because those Toyota hoses last, I've seen they them last do. 20 years. But the plastic inserts, mm-hmm. the plastic connectors, the plastic Ooh. fittings, all that stuff is the same plastic as the radiator. Right. So it deteriorates at the same rate. And while you've got the system down, now's the time to go yeah. in and change those pieces. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yes, that makes good sense. So would you recommend, you know, I just last year, I changed all the hoses. I know the Toyota rubber lasts a long, long, long time, mm-hmm. but the, the parts from Toyota were really inexpensive. I so, mean, they some of the parts are inexpensive. Yeah, I bought new radiator hoses mm-hmm. um, from Toyota. Um, <clears throat> do you recommend I also replace the heater hoses? If they I have, say, yeah, I would feel them. Yo, squeeze on them if they're pliable, not hard, and, and they're not okay. squishy. They're either. not squishy, and you know they don't you crunch when you, you squeeze you them. Can pretty much Probably tell. Go a while. Yeah, you, they, they, I've seen them last life in a car. Many cases. Okay. Okay, that sounds great. Good to know. Thank you for all your insight. I really right. appreciate your podcast. I listen all the time. I say, and uh, uh, thank you so much. Oh, well, you thank bet. You. Thanks, Ben. Bye bye. Oh. Time for one more quick little call for the break. We've got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, guys. It's Kevin from West Virginia. So hey, man. All right. <laughs> hey, uh, had a question for you real quick. Sure. Uh, my brother has a Jeep. It's not the Grand Cherokee. It's just the Cherokee. Uh-huh. Uh, 2015, I believe. <laughs> and he told me that his heater, uh, the blower fan, I guess, quit working altogether. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't believe there's any fan speed that works. It's just completely out. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that it is the fan. I don't know. Uh, is that a pain to change? Is that something that is common on those cars, or is that something I ought to you know, have somebody look into? Yeah, I think it's probably uh, pretty easy to change, Kevin. The only thing is, most of the time, what happens, the fan motor goes bad, but it doesn't fail completely. It starts drawing too much amperage, mm-hmm. and you don't know it, except that what it will do is it'll melt one of the connections somewhere because it's drawing too many amps, and that's when okay. it quits work. So what you need to do is check all of the wiring real good, particularly like okay. at the speed controller and all that and at the switch mm-hmm. if any of those wires are melted you need to black. replace or black or burn you can right. replace the connector sure. and you can replace the boiler motor because if you just okay. replace the connector it's just gonna burn the next one up yeah but, i know you guys have 
I know you've said the same thing for like uh, fuel pumps as well. That a lot of times people Correct. put a new fuel pump on, but won't check the wiring, and they'll have burnt pins or whatever. And that that's right. Same and thing. They have okay. to be changed together because I've seen a lot of times people go in and they'll say, "Oh, uh, thank you for telling me that. All I need to do is turn the connector. Now it's working again." No, no, you're going to have to change what burned the connector up because that's right. Yeah. The motors get old and they, they get more amperage pulling out of them. They still work though, so sure. nobody really realizes what's going on. But yeah, when when a connection burns up, something causes it well see this is the difference between you guys and most mechanics is you're willing to fix the problem not just the symptom well yeah the, you have to have to fix the root cause that's exactly it because a lot of people just want to say oh well this this needs to replace i replaced that well now that i've replaced it it couldn't be that so i need to replace something else like you said that's a good way to spend a lot of money and that's something my brother doesn't have right now so absolutely <laughs> uh, well i sure appreciate it guys thank you so much okay kevin thanks call man all right yeah, take care bye-bye uh, bye-bye all right, we're going to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment about the show, give us a call. It's 291-6901. We were talking a little bit about vibrations right. and where they come from, some questions to ask, and some things that will kind of get you in the point in the right direction. We talked about a vibration at an idle when you put it in gear. Correct. That is not there when it's not in gear. And the most common cause of that would be an engine mount that's mm-hmm. weak or broken. However, you have to remember when you put the thing in gear, you're loading the engine more. Sure. So a slight misfire that is affected by loading may also come in at that point. It will show up. Another thing is if you turn the air conditioner on, a lot of people think, well, it must be the air conditioner because when I turn it on, it comes in. When I turn it off, it goes away. Not necessarily because that air conditioner pulls anywhere from 30 to 40 horsepower from to that engine. To turn that compressor. At an idle, you're not, you, know, you may have a 250 horsepower engine, but that 250 comes in around 5,000 RPM. Mm-hmm. At an idle, it's not producing anywhere close to that. So if you're sucking 30 horsepower away from that engine, you are loading the engine significantly. But, again, this is something that will help you to diagnose the problem. A load affects it. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would want to do in that case is to go in and check the motor mounts. And the way you check engine mounts, get some type of pad, like be a piece of 2 by 6 or whatever, put it under the oil pan or whatever part of the motor you can get to, and just lift up slightly. And if you lift up slightly and the vibration goes away, 
Now we're pretty much into an engine mount because what we've done is we've raised the engine slightly so it's no longer touching the body. Right, so the transfer path is now We've gone. broken up transfer path. If it goes away when you do that, there's probably a 90% chance it's going to be one or more of the engine mounts. Well, and, and you hit on a good point there, one or more. Or more. Some vehicles have four, some vehicles have five, right. some vehicles have three. It just depends on the application. And if one of them is bad, they're all been down the same road they got the same amount of miles on them this one just failed first right and that being said some of these mounts are extremely expensive yeah Yeah, just stupid expensive yeah six seven hundred dollars on some cars now so in that case if you can get by just changing one of them you might want to consider that Uh rather than just changing them all but as you said if it's a high mileage vehicle the mounts aren't too expensive it is generally always better to change them all at the same time because they all work together. Exactly. One new one is going to put more strain on, on the that other new ones. one because the other ones are weak. They're not doing their share of the job. So mm, right. it's one of those things, like most things in life, you just kind of got to balance it out, cost against mm-hmm. potential problem. Now, also, where you have something like a V8 or a V6 engine where there's two mounts side by side, I would always change those in pairs. Most definitely. You know, on like your inline, uh, your transverse mounted engines, there'll be mounts all over the place. Like you said, three, four, five mounts. Depending. Depending on how it is. Those you can kind of get by a little bit because certain mounts take a lot more loading. But on, say, a V8 Chevrolet, like in a pickup truck, which is one of the things with common motor mount problems, yep. the labor to get to one is a lot. And the labor to get to the second one when you're there is not that much. Not as much. Not but nearly you, as much. But if you have to come back, yes. then the labor gets, goes way out of sight. Well, not only that, but if you put one mount there, you're going to really stress the other mount. Mm-hmm. And you're going you're to stress the new mount because it's trying to control that entire engine. The other side's not doing its share. It may end up breaking again, in which case you end up doing the whole job again. Right. Or so, tear up the, the transmission mount. Well, that is correct. And so it's one of those deals where you kind of got to... I guess way out the, the uh-huh. yeah, if I got 160,000 miles, the mounts are $100 each. Ain't no question. They, they oh, yeah, all get changed. But I see a lot of these little transverse mounted engines. They have fluid filled mounts. Some of them have electronic mounts on them. Right. And, and they're, like I said, they're stupidly expensive. It can be six, seven, eight hundred bucks per mount times five mounts. And then the labor to change them and all. And the labor to change them all because there's usually not a lot of shared labor between them. No, there's not. So, again, that's where a good, solid diagnosis comes in. Make sure we are changing what needs to be changed. Correct. We have diagnosed the problem properly. And then some common sense as to do I change all of them? Do I change one of them? Mm-hmm. How do I go with that? And, you know, people will ask, well, why does it shake at an idle? It doesn't shake going down the road. Well, again, you have to remember going down the road, you have much more RPM on the engine so it's going to smooth out. It starts to make power when it starts to turn. Mm-hmm. So let's say you've got a slight misfire. It's going to show up under load, but it may not show up going, going down, down the road. Home. Right. Same thing with an engine mount. That engine's going to talk over, but it's kind of leveling out as you go down the road, so you may not feel it going down the road. Well, and you've got so many other things going on at that time when That's you're going right. down the road that you may not feel it. That's right. That's right. And, again, speed is going to affect the vibration. It may mm-hmm. just drone out at a certain speed. Right. Another thing with that is these are all things that with the vehicle sitting still. Correct. And with the motor running, if let's say it vibrates all the time the motor's running and you don't have to put it in gear, that you put it in gear, it doesn't affect it at all. Or you put the air conditioner on, that does not affect it at all. Well, now we have to start looking at the engine. What is it on this engine that's vibrating enough to be 
transferring through mm-hmm. good motor mounts and all that. So now we start looking for misfires and sure. these kinds of things. So the just by knowing these few little things, you can really narrow your search down a great deal. Exactly. Now, let's shift gears a little bit and say it does not vibrate at all sitting still, but when you start rolling, then, then you, get you a feel vibration. a vibration. Mm-hmm. Well, the first question there is at what speed does this vibration right. occur? Are we at are we at parking lot speed? Mm-hmm. Are we at 20 miles an hour? Are we at 70 miles an hour? And because each one of those is going to be a different determination. Different type of thing. And then, again, what affects the vibration? I'm not talking about gets rid of it or whatever. Just what changes what it? What changes it? For instance, if, if I have a vibration, it's in my steering wheel. It's in the parking lot rolling slow, say 10 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's a fairly significant wobble back and forth right i put it in neutral and let it roll at the same speed and it's still there well then you got to look at something that is still rolling still that same, turning when that the motor because the motor has returned idle when i put it right. in neutral it's just coasting so at most of the time that's going to be something like a bad tire or be a, bent or a, a bent rim or a bent wheel a separated uh-huh. tire or a wheel that's bent bad enough to where it can actually cause the whole thing to wobble now, when you get up some speed, it'll just kind of start bouncing. And, and it'll it kind of level out. It will level out. You at may, a certain speed. You may have a, same, a, a buzz still in there, uh-huh. but it won't be the same wobble back and forth. That's an extremely dangerous it vibration. Is. Because if a tire is doing that, it's very likely going to fail on you. And it's going to fail on you at the worst possible time. Sure. Usually at speed. Yeah, that's right. Hey, we're going to take a last little quick break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. <laughs> CJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. (laughs) He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, brah. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, President of Agco Automotive, our general manager, Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Still got a few minutes left. If you're going to give us a call, we'll get it right on in there and get you an answer. That we will. We're talking today a little bit about vibrations right. and such as that. And we talked about vibrations when the car is sitting still, in gear, out of gear, that sort of thing. And now when the car is rolling, well, that's a whole nother That's a whole different system to start looking at. Again, with a rolling vibration, you want to know what speed does it occur. Something that occurs way down, say, 10 miles an hour or so, nothing is turning fast enough for the most part to do a to, lot of shaking other than the tires right. because they are touching the road. So a big knot on the tire is going to kick that wheel back and forth every time it goes around. Yep. Now, let's say you have a vibration around 40 miles an hour. Well, a whole other series of things are going on there. Sure. So, if i got a vibration at about 40 miles an hour, first thing I want to know, what's vibrating? If the steering wheel is wobbling back and forth in my hand, it's probably something on the front. Mm-hmm. 
tires, something, something on the front drive line. Drive axles, what have you. Now, if the vibration is in the seat, let's say I can see the passenger seat shaking. I can kind of feel it in my behind. I can uh-huh. feel it in my feet. That's more, more or less likely going to be on the rear of the car. Mm-hmm. And it can be any number of things. But the first thing we want to do is say what affects the vibration. Now, when I say effect, I mean what changes it, not that, necessarily gets rid of it. Something may make it worse. Something may, may make, make it, it better. better. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm doing 40 miles an hour. The vibration is there. I'm going to accelerate. Now, when I accelerate, does the vibration get worse or better or stay exactly the same? If the vibration gets worse, it's likely going to be something in the drive line. Right, because you're actually loading the you're drive line when you accelerate. You're loading the drive line at that point. So I'm looking for something like a universal joint, a CV joint, that sort of a thing. Let's say the vibration stays exactly the same. Okay. Well, now we're more looking at something on the suspension because it's still turning. Even though you accelerate, you mash the gas, it doesn't immediately pick up speed. It's going to stay around the same speed for a while, but the vibration stays the same. It's not likely to be something in the drive line. So now we're looking for tires, bent wheels, mm-hmm. these kind of things. Again, something well, that's rotating. And at this point, you're above 40 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So what you can do now is you can actually shift it up into neutral right. and let the vehicle coast right. back through the 40-mile-an-hour range right. and see if the vibration returns or gets better or gets worse. That's right. If Let's say I've got a vibration at 40, 40 miles an hour. When I get to 50, it goes away. And when I slow down to 35, it goes away. Okay, well, what I would do in that case, I want to get up to maybe 50 miles an hour, put it in neutral, and let it coast back down through that range. Exactly. If it, again, still occurs at the same speed, well, this is a harmonic. This is something that is rotating and not likely at all to have anything to do with the drive line of the car. So, again, we're looking for a bent wheel. We're looking for a, a balanced tire. Tire balance issue. One of these. Out of round tire, of bent rim, something, something that's turning. Mm-hmm particularly if it's on the front or on the back, you know, is it in my steering wheel or is it in my in rear? Now, to narrow that down further, a very simple procedure, just rotate the tires front to rear. Does the vibration change? And I've told people this before, and they say, well, no, it's still there. Well, I didn't ask you if it's still there. Did, Did it, it change? change? Did it move from one, one right. end to the other? In other words, is the seat not shaking now, but the steering wheel is shaking, or vice versa? Before, was the steering wheel shaking, and that went away but, but now, now it's in the seat. The seat is in there. And the change may be subtle, so you have to be looking at it. Mm-hmm. The point is, if moving the tires front to rear changes, changes the vibration, now we're into a wheel or tire kind of an issue. Exactly, because that's the only components you've moved. We can forget about the universal joints. Right. Because CV joints. they did not change. They right. did not move. You can forget about the CV joints because they did not move. The tires are the only thing that moved. And I'll have people say, well, maybe I should get a wheel alignment. Well, well, no, wheel alignment is you, not going to fix the vibration. You may need a wheel alignment, but that's not this problem mm-hmm. because the wheel alignment is not turning, and it's there. It's the same at every speed. Exactly. Zero or 100 miles an hour, the wheel alignment is either in or out. Right. Now, it being out could cause a tire to go bad. Could cause a car to go bad, and, which could cause a shake. Right. So, again, it's kind of like case, Kevin said, you got to look for the root cause. Exactly. You know, you, you say, okay, yeah, I found it. It's a tire. You put a new put tire, tire on there, it. and that one wears right back out again. That's because the alignment caused the tire to go bad. Exactly. So, we got to figure out why this tire went bad. Is it old? Did Is it alignment wear? Did it hit a curb? You know, is it impact damage? Mm-hmm. 
that's the things that need to be figured out at that time. Well, and you can have a tire that can shake for any number of reasons. Sure. We have had tires come in, and I've, I've seen they tires would go in, they would have them balance them, and the vibration is still there at a certain speed. Well, what had happened is that the guy had gone to get air in his tire at one of these service stations that doesn't drain their tanks. Right. And water had gotten inside the tire. That'll do it. Now, a little bit of water will sit in the bottom of that tire because it's heavier than the mm-hmm. air. As long as the tire is turning fairly slow, 20, 30 miles an hour, it just kind of sits stay. there. and stay it right there in the bottom. You get to a certain speed, it starts going around with the tire. And you're talking about a couple ounces yeah. of water, at the very least, will big, cause a vibration. A big, big vibration at speed. And you know something else we've seen is fix-a-flat. Yeah. That, that fix-a-flat, that um, stuff you put in the... Squirt, because that's mostly right. liquid. It's liquid anyway. And what it's doing is it's looking for a, a place to get out of the tire, and the rest of it just stays. Right. And it does the same thing. That stuff is not really made for automotive tires. No. It's more or less made for off-road vehicles, lawnmowers, things like that, to, to fix... Tires well, that virtually every automobile on the road today, everything with 06, 06 and up, 06 and up is going to have TPMS, the tire pressure monitoring system, and mm-hmm. that stuff can definitely wipe out oh, those yeah. sensors. It so will take it out. Best thing is just throw it out away. Yeah. Don't don't even don't use, use it, it in on the a car at all. But that can be the devil is fine because when you put it on a balancer, a balancer spins about forty five miles an hour, mm-hmm. which is a common speed. Because most people drive somewhere between 30 and 70, and 45 is kind of close to the middle of that range. So that's where you want to balance tire. No tire will be perfectly balanced at every speed. But you can get a good range in the middle that will cover a wider range. When it's sitting on the balancer, it may balance perfectly Mm because the water's just sitting in the tire and the tire's going around. And I've seen people have just... I know it's a tire, but I just can't find the problem. You break tire down, pour the water out of it, and fix the problem. I've actually seen shops, we've we've had a few come in that nobody else could fix, mm-hmm. and there was weights all over the place, because when you put it on there and spin the wheel, the water would lodge into one, in, one right. side of the tire, it would go around, it asked for this much weight, that much weight would get put on, next spin to check it, yeah, it goes the, the water lodges somewhere else, and the weight's off again, right. so... More weights get put on, and before you know it, you got a whole rim full of weights, and you know the tire is never <laughs> well, balanced. Well, and, and that indicates the technician doesn't know what he's doing. Exactly, because anytime it takes more than one weight on either side of the wheel, then you're right. you, you, you got to start looking. Yeah, you got a problem. You something, need to stop something and start is looking. Wrong. It's not going to be just a balance issue. Now, again, going back to the same scenario, let's say when we accelerate, the vibration gets worse. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're in the subtype of a driveline issue. Sure. If it's got a drive shaft, like a rear-wheel drive car, the first thing I would check is the universal joints. Right. And we're not talking about just grab the shaft and twist it to make sure it's not loose because U-joints will fail in several different ways. That is one way that a U-joint goes bad. It gets slack in it. So if you turn the shaft, you can feel the slack in it. That's one way it goes bad. Another way is the little... The little rollers. The little rollers may seize up, and you get a tight joint. It mm-hmm. may have no slack in it at all, but it still vibrates like the devil because the tight Cause it can't joint. Because it can't turn can't smoothly. roll smoothly. So, again, something like that on a rear-wheel drive car, I start looking at the drive shaft. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say it's a front-wheel drive car. Exactly. The inner CV joint, because it's a transport... Um, yes, yeah, a tripod. It, it, right. It... it um, yeah, a plunge joint. It, there, it thank moves, you. <laughs> it moves in and out, and it tends to wear little grooves in a certain spot inside because, that house. Because that's where it rides. That's where it rides most of the time. When you accelerate, it just kind of pops into those grooves. It throws it off center, so then you start to get a vibration. The that's, second you let off, it, it kind of swings away. back where it was, and the vibration goes away. Mm-hmm. Now, if you accelerate and the vibration gets much worse, you let off, it, it gets goes. much better. That's not going to be a tire balance issue. No, it's the not. The tire didn't suddenly rebalance itself. 
it's not going to be a bent wheel. The tire, the wheel didn't get straight all of a sudden. Uh-huh. So that's we're looking for some type of a drive line kind of an issue. Exactly. Now you got to be a little bit careful because if you tip into the acceleration and you get a vibration, that can also be a transmission issue, and it can also be an engine running problem. Right. Because a subtle engine miss can feel very, very much like a misfire. And that fools a lot of people, including a lot of shops. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen exactly. good, good mechanics fooled by that. We're going to talk more about that next week. We're just All about right. out of time. So we're going to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service. Find a written view and fill it out for us, please. We sure appreciate it when you do that. It moves us up in the rankings. also makes us feel real good about what we're doing. If you just can't find a place to rank us there, you can always go to Google. Google in the name of our company, which is Agco Automotive, mm-hmm. and you can put a Google review. That'll right. kind of help us out just the same. That works. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.